Today, we find ourselves as anarchists in the USA, 20 years into the so-called War on Terror. This war of destabilization has targeted criminalized populations within the U.S. borders, had had massive, violent, and deadly consequences across the globe. What we call a war, for lack of a better word, serves to destroy, enslave, maim, and kill animals, human and non-human, around the world. And throughout this whole 20-year period, one of the constant bogeymen has been that of the Iranian state, whose people have lived under varying pressure from U.S.-led sanctions. The U.S. war machine hovers close to shifting from its regional proxy wars to an active war with Iran, as the Trump regime's rhetoric and economic policy close around the throats of the Iranian people. In the interest of international solidarity and understanding, and the spirit of neither East nor West, we're quite pleased to be having a conversation with a translator from the Anarchist Union of Afghanistan and Iran. In this conversation, we'll be learning about Iranian struggles and what solidarity from the West might look like. We hope that in the future, we can talk more about the impact of the 20 years of war on the peoples of Afghanistan perpetrated by the U.S. government and its allies and the work of anti-authoritarians on the ground. So right now I'm speaking with a translator from the Anarchist Union of Afghanistan and Iran. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak, and do you want to introduce yourself further than that? Thank you for having me. Um, and no, that's, that's adequate. Thank you. Can you talk about the makeup generally of the Anarchist Union of Afghanistan and Iran and what its aims are? Like, Why does it include both of those territories and not others? And what are the unifying principles of the union? The union is composed of the Anarchist Era Collective, which is a community of anarchists from Iran and Afghanistan, operating both inside and outside of the respective countries, Aleh, an anarchist group based out of Afghanistan, and the Revolutionary Radical Anarchist Front, which is based in Iran. Um, our members are about two-thirds in Afghanistan and Iran, and one-third outside of them, with many of those in Europe, Canada, and the United States. The vast majority of our new members are recruited from within Afghanistan and Iran. Um, the reason why it is those two countries is because they share uh, Persian as uh, a lingua franca, uh, referred to as Farsi in Iran or Farsi and Dari in Afghanistan. Uh, the peoples in these territories as well share similar struggles and the states of their respective countries and the political elites uh, share commonalities as well. We have many points of unity, uh, though one thing to note is that we are open to all anarchists except pacifists, sectarian religious anarchists, and those who would call themselves so-called anarcho-capitalists. Due to different situations on the ground in Afghanistan and Iran, we embrace a multitude of different strategies um, and accept many different tendencies of, of anarchists, depending on the situations uh, that they face. Um, can you give an explanation really briefly of, of why, I mean, I can, I can understand ANCAPs cause they're not real. Um, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because like partisan religious, anything, you know, are, they wouldn't be able to work with, with other people uh, without those other people turning to their side. So that, that makes sense. What is it about um, the pacifist anarchists that, uh, uh, that puts them in, in with those other categories of groups that, that can't be a part of the union. Our reason for not accepting pacifists into the anarchist union is that pacifism does not effectively confront the state and in many ways reifies the legitimacy of the state. We also accept the necessity of armed struggle and that and armed self-defense, which pacifism does not encompass. But for uh, people on the ground in the struggles and protests in Iran, uh, it is necessary for us to um, use violence uh, when necessary uh, against the regime. That makes sense. So as we're speaking, tensions are ratcheting up between the U.S. regime and the Iranian regime. What does the anarchist union think about the assassination of Major General Qasem Soleimani of the Quds Force of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard? And how has the assassination affected living and resisting under the regime? How have people reacted to the states threatening one another? 
We are happy that Qasem Soleimani is dead, and many found his death cathartic. He has been terrorizing the region in Syria, Iraq, uh, Yemen, Lebanon, as well as Afghanistan for quite some time. And he is an important figure within the Revolutionary Guard, which unleashes domestic forces on protesters, demonstrators, frequently, including the uprising in November. At the same time, we also condemn the reckless actions of Trump's executive branch in Iraq and their self-interested strike, which served to stir up tensions in the region and bring more suffering on Iraqis and Syrians who are in the lines of fire. This recent international incident emerges from decades of conflict between opposing imperialist blocs who are largely responsible for the wars, famines, and displacement of many people that is so common now in the Middle East. We believe that the death of Soleimani will not change Iran's approach in, uh, its, in regions that border it because his longtime deputy commander, Ismail Qa'ani, is being appointed to replace him as commander of the Quds. As well, the militia leader who was killed, Al-Muhandis's uh, death will not end his militia um, or any other militia that Iran backs. On the opposite side, Iraq did request American forces uh, leave and many NATO operations uh, were suspended during the last week but there's no indication that Western powers will dramatically change their policies or their presence in Iraq. So far, there has been little effect on resistance under the regime. There was a day of state mourning. There were many state-mandated parades. And the regime banned any sort of protests or rallies uh, against these. There may be a lull due to nationalist fervor. Uh, but it will not last long because the economic conditions, the domestic conditions, the repression that is forced on the Iranian people will lead to riots and uprisings again. Uh, for this, we're pretty certain. In Iran, the regime's reaction has to be understood as well within the upcoming election. There is an election that is being held in Iran on February 21st and a strong condemnation and a retaliation to the strike by the Americans was expected. So if Trump has an election that he is currently in the cycle and he's campaigning for, so too are Iranian politicians. What are the conditions of life in Iran under the regime? Many listeners in the West and in the U.S. in particular would be curious to learn about the experience of day-to-day -day life. We understand that Iran is large and heterogeneous territory, uh, so whatever you can do to inform us would be appreciated. The current situation should be seen as a part of the 40-year history of the Islamic Republic of Iran, which was the regime that was born in 1979 during the revolution. The current situation is the result of four decades of divisions and splits within the government, and since the beginning, the regime has been gradually eliminating one group after another that has supported the revolution, getting rid of parties and curtailing their prominence, and stopping political participation and excluding voices from the political arena that don't support the revolution that occurred in 79. While there are elections, the people who may run for the elections are carefully chosen by the guardian committee. So these are, are not the same as elections that happen in the United States or Canada where the party apparatuses are responsible for electing their own uh, representatives to, to run as leaders of the party or as, as presidents. In the economic arena as well, there is a large gap in income a majority of Iranians are either in absolute poverty or they're in relative poverty. There is a large uh, working class as well as a large unemployed population. 
and this is because neoliberal policies are being imposed by the Iranian regime and have paved the way for the seizure of public property by the political elites and the impoverishment of many. Money that could be redistributed to the people has been instead funneled towards proxy wars that Iran is fighting, as well as being funneled into the hands of clerics and the Revolutionary Guard. Iranian state assets are owned by four organizations, including the Holy Shrine of Imam Reza, the Foundation of the Oppressed, and the Seal of the Prophets. These organizations own companies and vast amounts of wealth and assets, including various factories and companies, as well as property that was confiscated from the Shah regime. And the policies that Iran pursues by taking much of the economy for the elite and to fund proxy wars and their own repression is having a negative effect on the country uh, and the livelihoods of normal people who live there. One question, I guess. Um, so for people, for listeners that are in the United States and concerned around the sanctions that the U.S. has been imposing, uh, it sounds basically like it's just being passed on to the population and not actually affecting the policies and choices of the regime directly in Iran. Does that seem like a correct assessment? Yes, that is a correct assessment. Though some businesses and some members of the Iranian regime do feel the pressures of the economic sanctions, much of the actual burden of these is held by regular people. So could you talk about those um, those protests that rocked Iran in November, their genesis, and what role, if any, anarchists played in them? And also what sort of like uh, political, social, religious, or, or gender strata participated in the protests? Were there demands, and how successful was it? Sorry, that's a very big question. That is a very big question. <laughs> um, if you want to just like more generally, would you tell us about those protests and who participated what went on and how they went? These protests emerged from the pressure of U.S. economic sanctions because they've paralyzed the government, which means the regime is facing a severe budget deficit. The first spark for these protests was the regime deciding to cut the subsidies for gasoline in order to pay for some of the other parts of their budget. This created uh, an outcry from the vulnerable parts of society and those who are lower income. What is perhaps surprising is that many of those who form the base of pro-government support were out in the streets, the lower classes, and have been driven into the street to protest because of this economic pressure and the organized corruption in the country. There are also reports of young people from affluent classes, as well as people from the middle class and many students who joined. However, we can suspect that it wasn't necessarily economic uh, reasons that made those uh, protesters join in the demonstrations. As to anarchist presence, there was serious and widespread anarchist participation in the protests that happened in November of this year, as well as December in 2017-2018. In the aftermath of the 2017-2018 protests, we know at least some anarchists who were arrested and tortured, though it is not clear to us that the government knew that they were anarchists. And the union does not have links with all Iranian anarchists, so we don't know how many uh, were arrested or were uh, killed. As for this November, as far as we know, there were no anarchists associated with the union who were arrested or killed. But again, we, we can't know of the fate of all anarchists. Um, 
and anarchists have participated in the uprising in different ways uh, in each location because it involved a variety of different events, different rallies, different marches, depending on the circumstances and the severity of state response. And we can't really get into that due to security reasons. But during these protests, there was uh, three key drivers that brought people to the streets. And those were domestic politics, the economic situation, as well as uh, the international policies of Iran. People were in the streets protesting Iran's involvement in Syria, in Iraq, and in Lebanon. We also know that Afghan refugees participated in the demonstrations uh, because nine were killed and many more were arrested. So we know that there are a wide um, widespread participation by all classes and people in society against the regime and the economic situation and the imperialism that Iran has been inflicting on the rest of the region. This is Stefano Star Radio and I'm Bursts. You're hearing my chat with a translator for and member of the Anarchist Union of Afghanistan and Iran. There was what appeared to be an inconsistency between those two answers. And so I'd like to just address oh, that okay. and, and get a clarification if that's okay. Because in the mm -hmm. prior question that I asked, so the sanctions are in fact affecting the regime, but the elite as individuals don't feel the burden as much as the majority population. Is that a correct understanding? Because you said that the subsidies yeah. had led to... So the regime as a whole and the political elite as a class do not feel the burden of the economic sanctions. They don't go without food. They have plenty of fuel. Uh, it hasn't affected their electricity or their internet. It, it hasn't affected their day-to-day uh, -day life. It has affected the uh, running of the Iranian state. Um, and instead of directing money to the people who are feeling the burden of the sanctions, they're instead um, hoarding the money for themselves or using the money to wage proxy wars. So the Iranian government has shut off the internet uh, in reaction to protests at various times. Can you talk about the impact that this has had on resistance in Iran and, and social and technical workarounds that people have constructed or found? Definitely. Shutting off the internet did a great deal of damage to internet businesses, but did not have too much an effect on the protests themselves. The protests had begun before the internet crash, and while the shutdown did limit the amount of information we could receive from the streets. People instead just decided to speak face-to-face -face and they didn't really use internet access to create the protests to begin with. And so they just continued not using uh, the internet. Given the events that happened over that week, we don't believe that the internet had much an effect on protests. People tend to be organizing these protests and, and getting involved in demonstrations against the state through face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, considering that many common social media tools that activists use in the West and in other places to organize clandestinely with encryption and security aren't available in Iran. And some apps such as, and platforms such as Twitter are not accessible in Iran without VPN services. Um, so we often hear in the West about the Iranian state repression of the population for feminist stances, for queerness, unorthodox religion, exp religious expression and practice. How much is day-to-day -day life policed around issues of gender, sexuality, and religion? How free are people to live their identities as they see fit, love and worship as they will? And how much room culturally is there for these expressions? Day-to-day -day life in Iran is heavily policed. And one of the main organs that polices the expression of sexuality and gender is the Gashir Shad, 
which translates to the guidance patrol. They're also known as the morality police. And we can see the effects of repression of women, especially through the symbolic videos that have been coming out of Iran of women taking off hijab. Um, this doesn't mean that they're not Muslims. It doesn't mean they're anti-Islam, but it means that they are performing a symbolic protest to reject the type of uh, the, the Islamic rules that are imposed by the state. Uh, and in general, women, all religious minorities, uh, press genders and minority nationalities are under constant police pressure and control. They're subjected to constant repression. Women must usually travel with a father or husband or some other male guardian. And there are many uh, human rights issues that Iranian feminists attempt to address. LGBTQ people are oppressed by the religious police and the Iranian state's interpretation of Islamic law, meaning that if a homosexual is discovered and it's proved that they've had um, gay sex, they can suffer a death sentence. Largely, relations between men and women in society are very limited. And in public, there is always police supervision or guidance patrols who are tasked with uh, enforcing the coverage of women and the separation between young men and women. And there are instances that even at parties that people are having in their own homes, police and guidance patrols come to attack them and arrest those who are in attendance if they find that the party is in breach of any of the state's laws. The Iranian state has used religion to create this prison for marginalized peoples. So the last question didn't really touch on ethnic difference. You mentioned ethnic minorities um, and repression from the Iranian regime. Can you talk about the struggles of non-Persian peoples within Iran, or the forms that those struggles take, and the relationship between the anarchist union and those struggles? You already mentioned that the union has a stance in support of armed struggle against the Iranian state. As you have said, we are supportive of armed struggle against the Iranian state, and we have made two communiques calling for an armed united front to defend unarmed protesters from security forces during dis demonstrations and further uprisings. Iran uh, has different ethnic groups and they all have their own struggles. The territory of Iran is home to many different peoples who speak Iranic languages, such as Baloch, Kurds, Lari, Luri, Mazadurari, um, Bashkardis, just to name a few, as well as Arab speakers, um, as speakers of Turkic languages like Aziris. And as a nation state, Iran has continued Persianization to forcefully assimilate non-Persian nationalities. Many minorities are kept out of the decision-making positions in their regions by Tehran. Uh, minority languages are also discriminated against and economic distribution is kept away from minority regions like Balochistan and Kurdistan. Tehran wants access to resources in these regions and strategic ports and roadways, but wants to keep the local peoples oppressed. Um, and we, uh, the Anarchist Union, had run a Twitter poll, and although Twitter accounts for about 10% of Iranian internet users, and there aren't too many Iranian internet users, according to the poll, out of Iran's 31 provinces, there are 30 with anarchists, and uh, there are anarchists among all the, the non-Persian ethnicities. There are also anarchists in the only province that no anarchist selected for the poll, but they don't use Twitter or the internet and, and they can't participate in those polls. And we shouldn't forget that in Iran, anarchists are largely disadvantaged and impoverished and don't always have access to the internet or to an internet cafe and rarely have access to, say, smartphones with that capability.
The anarchist union itself does not rely solely on its own members and has a multitude of anarchist audiences and groups who coordinate union activities without direct contact to keep it decentralized for security reasons. We don't want everybody in direct contact with us or to be a member of the union because that could leave the union open to being targeted easier by the Iranian regime. Many of the anarchists are movement-oriented and involved in many different initiatives, including um, ethnic minority struggles. Non-Persian anarchists mainly fall outside of ethnic parties that are organized and have their own independent activities as anarchists that uh, we are either in contact with or indirectly coordinate with. Though the non-Persian peoples of Iran um, and, and their anarchists are definitely involved in union activities and we do respond to um, the, the needs and the struggles of everyone who lives under the Iranian regime. So a, a painful truth of ignorance is the inability to see the bounds of that ignorance. Uh, would you please speak about Orientalist approaches of Western leftists and anarchists as you've experienced it as the union, at least since you've participated in the anarchist union of Afghanistan and Iran, and insights that we in the West can act from to overcome some of these shortcomings? Western leftists are very quick to defend states opposed to the U.S., their Western chauvinism prioritizes a worldview that centers the United States and, therefore, makes opposing American imperialism at the expense of other states a priority. This Orientalism subordinates the struggles of Afghans and Iranians, who have to confront both their own governments as well as many competing international interests. Many Western leftists are ignorant of the complexities of situations in places like Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Instead of listening to anti-authoritarians on the ground or in the diaspora, they are quick to make judgments that confirm their own biases about the United States and American imperialism. For example, we receive negative feedback from Western leftists, mostly Marxists, to our own statements about the death of Qasem Soleimani because we condemned him and found catharsis in his death in addition to rec uh, condemning reckless American actions. For the Union, it is paramount that we both oppose American sanctions and warmongering, as well as the Iranian regime's corruption and brutal repression. Uh, the insights that Western leftists can take away is to focus on and raise up the voices of those who are suffering from oppression abroad and people of those diasporas who have rigorous analysis of all imperialisms, not merely reflexively falling back on American imperialism and its allies. So I, yeah. I raise that question because there's a, there's a certain brand of authoritarian leftists. Um, in the US, we have a brand of so-called, in the West, I guess, we have a brand of so-called leftism that often supports repressive states that are viewed as being oppositional to the US state. However, they're also standing on the throats of the people that they claim to rule over. So often we call these people tankies. Uh, that nickname is uh, came from a nickname for a, a derisive, an insult for British communists who supported the Stalinist repression of Hungarian workers' democracy in 1956. So that's kind of why I raise this question is because we've also gotten some some pushback for uh, trying to trying to help amplify the voices uh, um, to American audiences mostly of people in resistance in Hong Kong or Rojava and tankies come come at us on Twitter and they're like actually like you're just anti-Chinese or Assad is actually a socialist <laughs> can you talk about like a little more about tankies of course Tankies represent a threat to internationalism, especially in the region of Afghanistan and Iran. They support the Iranian regime, even though Iran represses and targets anarchists as well as Marxists. They support the Assad regime, which is opposed to uh, leftist thoughts as well as you know liberty and egalitarianism and has waged a war 
um, to keep authoritarianism in that country. Uh, they go back, as you said, they support uh, China, uh, the People's Republic, as well as supporting Russia and Putin. Um, for us, it seems that these so self-described leftists do not support any sort of leftism. They have merely taken up a different imperialist block in these struggles. Uh, and they're, again, centering the United States and Western action and agency rather than centering the resistance of people who live in the places where struggles are ongoing and where different imperialist blocs are attempting to uh, influence the region to install governments that are amicable to them. This creates complications in their geopolitics, especially in the case of Afghanistan, where the Americans have been waging a decades-long occupation, and the Afghan state has been fighting a civil war against the Taliban. However, the Taliban are being supported by Iran, Russia, and China, as well as Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states, and Pakistan. So for the tanky, then this raises a question where if Iran and China and Russia are always on the side of anti-imperialism, would that make the Taliban anti-imperialist? Would that make Pakistan, who also supports the Taliban, anti-imperialist? We also must look back. Uh, tankies often defend the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan and present the Mujahideen as the precursors of Al-Qaeda, even though Al-Qaeda were Arabs and, and not Afghans. Um, the Afghan Mujahideen was also supported by Iran, and Soleimani himself uh, participated in the uh, uh, participated in supporting the Northern Alliance that fought against the Taliban that the Americans also supported. So we see how the pragmatic opportunism of Iran and other imperialist states sometimes coincides with Americans uh, and other imperialist interests that these tankies uh, definitely don't support. And the, these are the problems with their worldview. It is based on some simple heuristics that they know about the world. Uh, and that they apply to everything in order to make it simple. And perhaps in isolation, they can make sense, but they can't explain the global system unless they out and out become supporters of Russian imperialism or Iranian imperialism uh, globally. Yeah, that point is very well made. And I can see them like, I mean, if, if people, I guess, relate the uh, Mujahideen to Taliban and and like there there is the Osama bin Laden connection right but following the fall of the uh, PDPA government the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan mm -hmm. um, the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan that was ruled by Najibullah who was installed by the Soviets uh, there was a civil war among Mujahideen commanders and out from the Pakistani uh, refugee camps where Afghans were kept, emerged the Taliban movement and it joined the civil war. So the Taliban were largely fighting against who we would think of as the Mujahideen. Mm. And the Northern Alliance and many of the um, political elite that form the coalition government are from the Mujahideen but they are also from the PDPA. Hmm. Um, so it, the, the narrative that the Mujahideen became the Taliban is not true. There are fighters from the Mujahideen who joined the Taliban, but by and large, the majority of factions and commanders who fought in the Mujahideen opposed the Taliban. Hmm. And to the second point of bin Laden, bin Laden was responsible for Maktab al-Hirmat, which was a uh, organization that helped bring Arab fighters, Arab foreign fighters to Afghanistan 
and fight in the Mujahideen uh, against the Soviets. They never brought very many. There may have been no more than 5,000 in Afghanistan at any point in time. And most of the money that was raised from uh, by bin Laden came from private investors in the Gulf states. Uh, some of the money came from Saudi Arabia's security apparatuses directly in order to do things that they did not want the Americans or the Pakistanis to know about because the Americans uh, and the Saudi government were funneling money through the Pakistani intelligence agency, the ISI. And the ISI controlled the distribution of funds to the major Mujahideen groups. So there's, there's no evidence to suggest that the Americans had any ties to bin Laden. Many, uh, most of the time, this comes from Orientalism mm. and assuming that you know, Afghans and Arabs are the same mm -hmm. and that bin Laden was a participant in the Afghan Mujahideen, which he was not. Cool. Thank you for the clarification. Well, switching gears a little bit. So anarchists in other parts of the world may be interested to learn about how you all uh, from the anarchist union learned about anarchism, what anarchism looks like in Iran, such as like what kind of tendencies or influences there are. Maybe if it has subcultural roots in punk or metal, as can be seen in a lot of other parts of the world, uh, or if it comes more from labor roots. And does the praxis hold any particular religious, secular, or anti-religious sentiment? So our own praxis uh, is definitely holds the secular sentiment, and there's some who hold anti-religious sentiments, much like Bakunin, who said, no gods, no masters, when he was living under a time of um, Christian hierarchy and where Christianity represented a, and where Christian organizations represented an authoritarian presence in society so too does anti-religious sentiment stem from the authoritarian uh, usage of Islam by the Iranian regime. What we have found uh, is that there are many anarcho-syndicalists in Iran. However, there are also uh, anarchists of other tendencies as well, anarcho-feminists, green anarchists, anarcho-communists, and other anarchist tendencies. Uh, many people do not emphasize uh, a branch or tendency of anarchism that they hold. They merely say that they are anarchists. Since 1979, there have been translations of anarchist works that have made their way into Iran, normally in zines. Um, there's uh, we're European Western thinkers like Bakunin and Kropotkin who were able to introduce um, anarchism into Iran. Though Anarchism in the region goes back further. There were Armenian anarchists and other anarchists um, who were located close to the Ottoman Empire and Iran that uh, wrote in Persian, as well as other languages like Armenian and Turkish. Uh, so there, there is anarchist literature that you know, is from the region uh, as well. Iran is one of the states that overlaps with Kurdistan. Uh, We'd be curious to hear what sorts of impact the Rojava revolution has had within Iran, particularly since the decentralization, agnosticism, and plurality, feminism, and anti-capitalism appear that, as they might uh, be in conflict with the aims of the Iranian and any state. Yes, we take inspiration from Kurds in northern Syria, who are part of the PYD, and the other groups uh, who are a part of the Syrian Democratic Forces and the Autonomous Administration of Northeastern Syria. They've shown us another political system that strives to achieve a society where there's respect for all citizens. In addition to that, they have opposed um, imperialism and reactionary politics by fighting against the Islamic State, as well as, as Erdogan's uh, fascist government in Turkey. In addition to this, uh, there is an equivalent to the PYD and PKK uh, operating in Iran um, called PJAC, and they are present in um, the northwest and western provinces, such as Kurdistan, West Azerbaijan, Karman Shah. Um, and they have been 
waging a uh, domestic armed struggle against the Iranian regime for quite some time with the support of um, their affiliated organizations. We also encourage um, everyone to participate in protest actions and rallies um, that support uh, northern Syria and the communities there. So Iran is surrounded by nations destabilized by U.S. wars over the last 20 years and beyond, and the borders are often just lines in the sand. News hit the U.S. media this year that much of the power vacuum left within Iraq by the U.S. invasion and occupation has been filled filled by the Iranian government and its, uh, its proxies. This comes as the U.S. puppet state has failed to realize, unsurprisingly, and thanks in part to the extremists and the extremism and ethnic feuds, uh, ethnic and religious feuds stoked by the U.S., leading to the rise of Daesh and other groups. Uh, unsurprisingly, like they haven't been able to reach stability, this puppet government. Recent protest movements in the streets of Iraq have called for jobs, for security, for self-determination. This has been met with bloody consequences at the hands of security forces and parastate actors like those militias. Can you talk about the relationship between Iraq and Iran in this period and maybe give an assessment of the recent struggles in Iraq? Is there any chance of extending the union, uh, the anarchist union uh, into Iraq as well? Well, the situation in Iraq needs to take into account that Iraq and Iran have been in conflict since uh, shortly after the Iranian Revolution, there was a decades-long war, the Iraq-Iran War. And following that, uh, and the invasion by the United States and occupation, Iran has been attempting to influence and um, control the Iraqi government. So recently, Iran has played the role of regional imperialist by creating mercenary Muslim groups, or mostly Shia, to export their revolution throughout the Shiite crescent. And they are injecting large amounts of money to uh, support their own state intervention and support non-state proxy groups throughout the region. This is largely being done by the Quds Force and was built by the late Soleimani. So far, the amount of money that the Iranian government has pumped into militias and segments of the Iraqi government um, has been successful. Um, and parts of the Iraqi government have begun affiliating with Iran. And we can see that from uh, the parts of the Iranian security apparatus opening fire on protesters in October who were protesting against Iranian imperialism as well as instances of Iranian-backed militia members joining the police or the Iraqi military and firing on Americans. Much of the Iraqi resistance um, was suppressed and crushed by affiliate organizations of the Iranian regime, uh, including their militias, and Qasem Soleimani played a large role in these events. Many of the activists in the Iraqi people's movement were assassinated um, or tortured by Iran and their uh, Iranian-backed forces. And the struggles extend beyond Iraq to Lebanon, Iran itself, Yemen, Afghanistan, and Syria. All of these uh, conflicts are intertwined because of the amount of money that Iran is spending and the organizing that they're doing to create uh, militias in these areas or to infiltrate groups that already exist, like the Taliban, which I mentioned previously. Um, and if the Iranian regime falls, then the peoples in these countries will witness you know, the collapse of the Iranian infiltrated parts of their own governments and the Iranian-backed militias would be defeated or disintegrated very easily without the constant funding from Tehran. Speaking about anarchists, in Iraq there are many anarchists in the Kurdish part 
and there are anarchists throughout Iraq as a whole. But in order for our anarchist union to expand into the geographical area of Iraq, uh, we would need uh, more people in the union to know Arabic, as that's the language of the majority of the population in Iraq. And currently, uh, we're focusing on um, Persian language content and the struggles of people who uh, speak Persian. Yeah, that makes sense. This is Stefano Radio, and I'm Bursts. You're hearing my chat with a translator for and member of the Anarchist Union of Afghanistan and Iran. So in the West, we hear in our media and from the U.S. government that the survival of Jews in West Asia is only possible by repression of the Iranian state through sanctions and military action and in defense of Israel as a state. Many people, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and of other faiths or a lack of faiths or various identities, suffer under the Israeli state. Has there been any show of solidarity between anarchists and anti-authoritarians living under these regimes? And can you say some words about the role of religious regimes in stoking hatred among working peoples? Do you have any hope that international solidarity could surpass these limitations? We have seen demonstrations of solidarity from Palestinians and other people who are living under this regime. And we have shown uh, solidarity in return. We see the function of religion by oppressive regimes is similar to the function of how fascist regimes operate. They create hatred among their people and fear creating internal enemies through the use of propaganda. And this hatred is not only confined to religious differences and as it reinforces ethnic differences, racial differences, and um, the differences between nationalities. And it has produced, uh, along with the colonial borders in the Middle East, much of the tension and ongoing conflicts that we see. We believe our international solidarity has already broken these barriers in many cases. We have developed very strong international relations with anarchists and resistance groups in other parts of the Middle East and are hoping to be better able to support and show solidarity with them in the future, too. What should folks living in the United States or other Western states know about resistance in Iran? What can we do to support liberation struggles in Iran and against the state and capital? And how can we build stronger bonds across borders? Is there a way to avoid having our support being used by the Iranian regime as a reason for further repression? Resistance in Iran is very difficult. There is minimal access to secure communications technology in order for people to plan actions. It is also illegal and heavily policed to have demonstrations and have protests and rallies where it is very easy in Western countries to either get permits or have spontaneous protests. This means that Iranians must operate clandestinely or wait for massive uh, uprisings and demonstrations that the police can't immediately respond to and must bring in the Revolutionary Guard or the military in order to suppress. Supporting Iranians fighting in Iran must, at the minimum, uh, include criticism of the regime. Support that valorizes the regime as anti-imperialist in any way makes it difficult to create internationalist support for Iranian resistance. This is something that we see in Hong Kong, as well as Iran and other parts of the world, where uh, authoritarian, self-described leftists are very quick to support the uh, imperialist power, whether it be the People's Republic of China or Iran. And this leads to conservatives, Republicans, hawkish liberals being opportunists and siding with, say, Hong Kong or Iranian uh, protesters merely because it suits their interests because they oppose Iran or China geopolitically. And as internationalist leftists, we should not allow that to happen and we should not cede that space to conservatives. Western leftists cannot hesitate to offer solidarity with Iranian and Afghan struggles 
um, against their own states and all imperialist actors for that reason. The Union has been approached by organizations around the world, in Belarus and Mexico, to exchange written interviews to learn more about the struggle happening in other places. And uh, this is a way to build stronger bonds between borders and share struggles and the ways that different anarchist groups uh, approach those struggles and approach um, confronting their own states as well as the other international interests that have effects on their lives. Are there any topics that I failed to ask you about that you'd like to address? Nope. Uh, I think we, we, we covered them all. Covered a lot. Can you talk about how folks can learn more and keep up on the struggles of Iranian anarchists and anti-authoritarians? How can we keep up on the union in particular? You can keep up with our work by following the Twitter of our media collective, um, at A-S-R-A-N-A-R-S-H-I-S-M, where we post translations of our communiques and statements, as well as news and prisoner letters that have been translated. You can also visit our website, which um, you can find on our Twitter, though it is primarily made for um, Persian speakers. However, all of, all of the translated content you can find by searching our uh, Twitter handles. You can also uh, access and join the Telegram group, though that is also largely uh, written in Farsi. Well, thank you so much for taking this time to chat and and going through the effort personally of of translating these words from from Farsi on the spot. Like, really appreciate this. And also, I realized a thing before we started chatting that after I sent you the questions in that little script about East, like um, neither East nor West, I didn't realize that that was actually one of the chants that was used within the Iranian revolution, which was, of course, like a lot of different tendencies pushing before the the Ayatollah Khomeini like took over and his and his his group took over. But yeah, I really like that that I I like that idea of sharing information and building solidarity through it. So thank you so much for participating in this. Yeah, Lozif Ambud. How would you say it? It's my duty to my collective, but also to the anarchist community at large in order to share and communicate Iranian Afghan struggles and how we approach anarchism and how we approach uh, criticism of uh, you know geopolitical powers well solidarity <laughs>